Hello, I'm Anna Elliott and this is Blendle Handpicked. If you give me five minutes of your time, I'll give you three stories that stood out above all the rest this week. My first pick today is from Jonathan Safran Foer in the New York Times, printed with the ambitious title, The End of Meat is Here. Now, this is a bit of a cheat because it's from a couple of weeks ago rather than this week, but I couldn't let this one go by without discussing it here. Saffron Fur is a renowned author, and you may know him from his novels Everything is Illuminated or Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, but this time he's bringing his considerable literary talent to a cause. He wants us all to stop eating meat. In his characteristically clear style, he tracks through several arguments against vegetarianism and systematically tears them down. One of the most striking moments comes in the middle of the piece. Here, Saffron Fur emphasises the factual nature of his argument. These are not my or anyone's opinions, despite a tendency to publish this information in opinion sections. And sure enough, this was printed in the Sunday Review section of the Times, a section filled mostly with opinion essays. That moment highlights the power of this article. It emphasises how the mass production of meat isn't really a matter of opinion anymore. There's enough science out there to convince anyone to reduce their meat intake. And that leads me to another thing I liked about this piece. It doesn't pretend to offer any new information. And it doesn't think we need it. Saffron first says we have all the information necessary to make the decision to cut down our meat consumption. We just need to listen to ourselves. The intention of the story isn't to blow your mind. It's to synthesise the information you probably already knew and put it in one hard-to-ignore place. If this piece doesn't change your mind, it will at the very least make you think about food in a new way. It's six minutes from the May 24th issue of the New York Times, and you can find the link in the show notes. Next up is a story by economist Tim Harford in FT Weekend about how the coronavirus crisis could help the world get over its innovation rut. Harford's argument might sound surprising at first. He says that no matter what Silicon Valley tells us, the world has reached a slow point in scientific and technological progress. Seemingly aware of his readers' raised eyebrows, Harford encourages us to perform a mini-experiment. Go into your kitchen and look around. You'll see little there that you couldn't have seen 50 years ago. The same could not be said of, say, the 50 years between 1920 and 1970. Harford even contends that in some sectors we might be going backwards. In air travel, for example. Concorde, the supersonic passenger airliner, hasn't operated since 2003. You might have a shiny smartphone that can access the internet, but don't let that distract you. In the majority of industries, progress and productivity have been lagging. But there's a sliver of hope on the horizon. The coronavirus pandemic could teach us something about the type of technological progress we need right now and spur innovation in a way nothing has for decades. For example, incentives, grants and prizes promised to the first group to create a working vaccine could be used in other areas to encourage innovation. And there's another lesson we can learn from this health crisis. Often, the most world-changing technologies aren't the super high-tech devices we think of when someone says technology, but simple, cheap and even primitive inventions. Harford gives examples. The brick, the postage stamp, the tin can, each impactful due to their simplicity. Similarly, soap, gloves and masks are saving lives right now. And the drive to vaccinate enough of the world's population could rest on the manufacture of millions of glass vials to hold the vaccine. 
it's risky to overlook the simple and potentially extremely fruitful to embrace it. There's a lot more to this 13-minute piece, and if you're a tech buff concerned about where we go from here, I'd highly recommend diving in. It's from last Thursday's FT Weekend. My third and final recommendation today is a deep dive into US politics from The Economist. It marks the beginning of the magazine's first ever statistical forecast of an American presidential race, and it gives Donald Trump a one in five chance of beating Joe Biden to win a second term in office. The Economist is always top of the class in its statistical analyses, and this example is no different. It was built with the help of Columbia academics and takes a hard look at historical data to build its conclusions. The piece begins by acknowledging that Donald Trump's surprise win in 2016 made this type of forecasting look out of touch and ultimately futile. It even notes that bettors are offering almost one-to-one -one odds on either candidate winning, quite a departure from The Economist's prediction. But it also explains why this particular forecast might just be worth listening to this time. The forecast splits the available information into two categories, fundamentals and polls. Fundamentals are based on historical analysis. They're the factors like the economy that shape voters' choices. Polls are, well, opinion polls, where the public indicates their current preference for president. The story lays out the variables that could change between now and the November election and how they could affect the outcome of the race. It also acknowledges the problems with opinion polls. Results can vary depending on whether the poll is taken on the phone or online, and they can have a huge margin of error. But The Economist has built these unknowns into its model and plans to update its forecast every day as the weeks and months progress. This piece works as a great explainer behind the headlines you might be seeing. If the election was held today, Joe Biden would win. It has just the right amount of detail without drowning you in numbers, and it's a seven-minute read in Friday's Economist. Thanks for joining me for this week's top stories. Check out the show notes for the links to the articles. And if you want to read more, you can go to blendle.com and subscribe to the Daily Digest newsletter, which we send out at 8 a.m. Eastern. If you want to get in touch with your thoughts on the show, you can email me at editorial at blendle.com and you can follow us on Twitter at Blendle. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next week.